good to look out on everybody. And you're nice and separated so I can see who's sitting where. <laughs> so greetings, ladies. Um, I just thought I wanted to thank Kathy for just having these studies and how she she started them off, and it just was it was a blessing. And then who she invited by having Anita and Carissa and Kathy, I don't know about you, but their testimonies blew me away. There is probably nothing like the testimonies of God in our lives. Um, it just is such a, their stories were so tender and moving, and um, it just made you want to think on your own, and I hope you are. Because um, I'm going to tell you to do that tonight. Okay, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for that beautiful worship. Thank you, Jesus, that we have you as our Savior, as our God, as our King, and as our most intimate friend and Savior and Father. And we could go on and on and on of who you are to us. And we give you praise for that. And we invite you to glorify your name here in the midst of us. Lord, I want to step aside and ask you to speak to these women. These are your girls. You um, gave up your life for them. So I pray that you would bless them, Lord, and give them something to go home with and glorify your name. And um, thank you, Father, for this time. In your name we pray. Okay, our assignment for tonight, and if you didn't do it, don't feel bad. We're not, we're not grading you, was to read chapters 7 and 8 from the Overcomer book that dealt with the two features of the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Chapter 7 talks about the helmet of salvation, which protects our minds. That's what. And as we acquire godly wisdom, which is a lot of what was talked about in Chapter 7, it's the main theme, and so we passed out to you um, a whole little booklet of all wisdom verses. And with the ones that weren't printed out, they're in that last two pages. You can look them up. There's loads of them. Plus, there's the whole book of Proverbs. I encourage you to read that frequently, and you'll grow in wisdom. Um, and then chapter 8 deals with learning how to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Bible, in battling the temptations from the flesh, the world, and the devil. The flesh is us. And the world system, as we know, is very intense in trying to uh, rob us of all the things that God wants us to have and walk in in life. And, of course, the devil. He's never sitting by feeling sorry for you that you're going through so much. He, he is there always to, to add more and more um, disruption in your life. So those are our, our battle, the battle that we have. And key to this all is to be able to use this helmet because most of the battles take place in our minds. And, um, and the, our minds are, um, well, I might just as well read this. I have a tendency to not to read, and I actually did write this out. So key to the use of the helmet that is meant to protect our minds is wisdom. And key to how to overcome the many temptations we face is the sword of the spirit, which is the Bible. And that contains wisdom. So wisdom is a principal thing. And it actually happens to be a scripture about that and that we should 
seek out wisdom. So I thought, let's just do a little review before I give some testimonies. Um, what is wisdom and what is it not? Wisdom is not just a collection of facts, opinions, and information. It's not even exactly the application of those, the collection of facts and inf information. The Bible has a lot to say about what God says wisdom is. And there were three particular verses that stand out to me that tells us what wisdom is. And the first one is Job 28, 28. And it says, behold, the fear of the Lord which is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. And then sort of the same principle, and this is also in other parts of the word, is Psalm 111, 10, and the first part. And it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And um, that's really foundational. And that's something that we actually really need to get into our spirit, is the fear of the Lord, and that's not this trepidation thing of, oh, I can't go near him, I can't talk to him. It is, it's not like that, like what the Israelites said to Moses, you go talk to God, and we'll stay here because of such trepidation and fear that they have for him. This fear is reverence, it's awe, it's amazement. And it is when we think about our God, there is absolutely nothing as big as he is. Um, he made the heavens and the earth. He made all of the, the galaxies and the stars. I was watching a, a show the other night, and it's incredible. The sun is a star. It's huge. He's made so many of them all over the universe and probably beyond. And that's God. He's huge. And we're little. We're these little things. And yet he has put his love upon us. And he has actually died for us so that he might have relationship with us. And so, bottom line, God is God and we are not. If you have to keep saying that to yourself over and over again, and that sounds elementary, but it's really true. We act a lot of times, including myself, like God is not God. We give God counsel. We tell him really what he should be doing and what we think would be best for the people we love. And we have an awful lot to say about how God should run his universe. Now, God's God, and we are his. And we have to know that as bedrock, that God is God and we are not. So that's number one about that's the wisest thought you can have. Number two is 1 Corinthians one twenty four. It says Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Some translations will say the wisdom from God. God is wisdom, so it is coming to know him more and more intimately that we grow in wisdom. And that's what it's all about, is coming to know our God intimately. And um, that's, that's the, that should be our heart. So talk to him constantly. Want to be with him. Find out his ways. Find out from the word of God what matters to him. Make it your love affair to know your God. And then the, the third thing, um, James 3.17 actually does tell us what godly wisdom is. It says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Jesus is God's wisdom to us. So 
basically what this is saying is we're, whenever your, whatever your thoughts are, half the time we don't know what we're thinking, what our thoughts are, the motivations of our heart, all of that should lead to purity, peace, mercy. If it's not, if it's leading to anxiety, worry, fear, anger, hatred, pride, and judgment of others, we're not walking in wisdom. We need to collect those thoughts and say no to them and say, no, I want to walk the way you tell me to walk, in purity, in peace, with gentleness, willing to yield, to give way and not always have your own way, full of mercy and patience, all the fruits of the Spirit is in Galatians. All of that is what's important. So that's like a little foundation of what wisdom is. So how do we get wisdom? It's really explained much better than what I'm going to say. I'm going to just pull a couple of things out in the book. So if you didn't read chapter 7 and 8, don't fret. Read them after this. How do we get wisdom? Number one, we grow. Grow in your relationship with God. Make it your goal to know him. Be honest with him. Talk everything over with him and get as close as you can to him. That's number one. And then number two, Make his word, the Bible, your food and the place where you learn about Jesus, the ways of his kingdom, which are completely different than the ways of the world, and above all, what matters most to him. And then number three, ask him for wisdom. If Solomon could ask him for wisdom, we can. So, um, and you, we can ask him a lot of times. We ask him in situations, but in general, Lord, give me wisdom. Make me think the way you think. Make me see things the way you see and understand, because I don't, and neither do you. <laughs> we just don't. We have our own stuff going on. Uh, we have, we a lot of times have what we think are really good and great ideas, but we want him to change the way we think, and in turn, that will change the way we walk. Um, so treasure him, his word, his ways, and the fact that he really wants you to know him and to come close to him and to be changed into his image, as it says in Romans 8, 29 and 1 Corinthians 13, 12. <clears throat> okay, so everybody did testimony, so I'm going to do some because they just bless me so much. Um, so bear with me because I'm going to sort of take you through my whole life, and I'm old, so... <laughs> I wish I had an hour, but I don't. Um, but I'll begin with, uh, this is one of the things I was thinking would be a real blessing for all of you to do at one point. Start, um, uh, you know, some of us came to the Lord when we were young. We grew up in Christian homes. And some of us did not. And it wasn't until we were adults. But what's so neat is to think back over your story, the things that God has done in your life before you knew him. Or even when, maybe in the very beginning, if you were one of those that uh, invited the Lord into your heart when you were four. I was not. Um, I grew up in a, in a home where it was not a Christian home. As a matter of fact, it was an alcoholic home. And it, it, um, there's a lot of things that formed in me and a lot of things that gave me a lot of baggage that I've, God has been unpacking through all these years. So um, I just thought, I thought, back, though, and I thought of a couple of things as I was a little girl, and that's what I want you girls to do, to think about, of how God was showing up in my life and drawing me. And uh, this, is, this story is, um, I was probably six years old. I was getting ready for my first Holy Communion. I was a Catholic girl. 
And there must have been like 150 little first graders, because there were a lot of kids back in the early 50s. And we're all sitting in the sanctuary, and there was a visiting priest that came. And this priest got up, and he uh, told us three stories, which is really good for first graders. And the first story was about Jesus and and the Sermon on the Mount. And the next story was about Stephen, the first martyr. And the next one was about something that applied to a child doing the right thing, a Christian kind of thing. All I can say is I was enamored with this. Those stories just stuck to me. And um, as soon as I left, I, I started, I got my cousins together, my sister, whoever would listen to me, I would sit them down and tell them these stories. And it got so people, would, the kids would say, would you tell us those stories again? And I just loved telling them. And then probably about a month and a half later, we moved out to Long Island, because I came from New York, as Kristen said. And um, our house had just been built. And in the back was a whole big dirt mountain. And um, because and the reason why it was there is because all that dirt was going to be put to the other properties to uh, as they were building houses. We were one of the first houses there. So I looked at it, and I thought, it's a mountain. I can tell that story because Jesus was on a mountain when he did the Sermon on the Mount. So I, I began to make little friends, and I would invite them to go into the mountain in my backyard. And, um, and sit them down and tell them the story. And they, everybody loved it. Uh, not all the parents did. A couple of the kids weren't allowed to play with me after that. But all I could say is when I look back on that, I think, God did that. He made me interested in those stories that began to, to build this thing in me about God. So that's just a little example. There's a, many more, and I'm sure you have them too. Okay, so fast forward. Um, I moved to Philadelphia in the end of 1970, and um, uh, I lived in Germantown, and um, this is where I came to the Lord. Okay, so my very good friend, she, she got saved first. Her name is Kathy. And what happened was I went away for the weekend, and I came back, and, and Kathy's completely different. And I don't like. I don't know what to make of this. She's talking about Jesus. She's um, she's doing. She's talking about this born again thing. I never heard of that in my life. And 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 she just how how cool it is. And more than anything, it was like really far out. And if it was far out, I wanted it. So I thought I'm gonna. I want to find out more about this. So we went to a party probably, it was the next day or a couple of days after, and the guy that told Kathy about Jesus, of which she accepted the Lord as a result of it and completely changed, he was there. And he had a whole bunch of people, and they were sitting around, and he began to tell his story about how he came to Jesus, and he was talking about being born again. Again, I had never heard of that. I'm not quite sure what that meant. But he said something that was outstandingly different than anything I had ever heard. He said that God wanted to do things for you. He had the gift of salvation that he wanted you to take. And he wanted to do things to set you free. And I I remembered I was sitting there and thinking, God wanted to do things for me? I never thought that. I always thought you had to do all this stuff for God, and then maybe he would be pleased with you and accept you, and maybe you'd get to go to heaven. 
but he wanted to do things for me. So I looked down my lap. I had a pack of cigarettes. I smoked a couple of them, a um, couple of packs. Well, actually, a pack and a half. I shouldn't have to tell the truth, but it was pretty bad. It was bad enough that I was coughing horribly in the morning, and I always wanted to get rid of them. So I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to ask him if this is true. So I said to God, if you really want to do something for me, could you take these away? He did. Didn't, I didn't want them at all after that. It was a t- I, my mind was blown. Now, that doesn't happen to everybody, but that was something that God did for me. And then, um, as the, this is, I always talk about it as the summer, because it took a summer to get me saved. <clears throat> and um, so the next thing in that lineup was, and this is something that God did um, a lot of my life and spoke to me. It was in loneliness and in loss. And that's exactly how I was feeling at that time in my life. I was in a new city, didn't have a job, didn't really have friends. It was, it was, I was miserable. And God, I believe God had me miserable. And so I was in my bedroom one night in this big old house up in the third floor apartment in Germantown. And I was crying. And I asked God to hold me. And I actually... This, this is, I don't tell this to too many people, but I'm telling it to all of you because it's a really, it's so tender. He, I watched him put me on his lap. <clears throat> and the way I knew that it was true was how I felt and what the room felt like. All of a sudden, all that distress and that sorrow and that, all, all of that completely lifted. And the room was just, it was just peaceful. And I watched this for a little while, and it was God. God was, was calling me again, and this was another piece. And um, by the end of the summer, I was his. I, I prayed the prayer because finally somebody told me about praying the prayer. And he led me to a church, and I got really involved in it. And uh, probably about four years later, I had met um, a man in, in church. He was a believer. And we got married. Um, and I can remember a lot of the people that I, from work, would say, oh, that marriage is going to last. And I thought, of course it's going to last. I'm a Christian. And he's a Christian, so it's going to last. Um, it didn't. My husband left me. He, within about three and a half years, he um, backslid. He started taking up all the stuff that we got delivered from, the pot, the alcohol, the loose living. And he went back to it. Um, and I remember thinking as this was happening and watching it happen, it just confused me terribly. But I remember thinking, I, I could go with him because I don't want my marriage to end. But if I go with him, I'll lose Jesus. I knew I would because I would be going back to the pit I came out of. And so I decided not to. I don't really actually think he wanted me to go with him anyway because he ended up having a girlfriend. So um, that was all really very, just, you know, very hard to deal with. But God was in the midst, and he was with me through the whole thing. As he is, as most of you all know, he's with us in trials. He does not leave us. As a matter of fact, sometimes he's more present. So one morning, I was reading the Word, and I came to Luke 11, 11 to 13. 
And it says, now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he would not give him a scorpion, will he? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give? And I stopped there. Couldn't read the rest of it. And I put down the Bible. And I said, um, I, I feel like you gave me a scorpion. And I don't, know how to, I don't know what to make out of this. I don't know how to walk through this. I don't know what to do with it. But that's what it felt like. And I learned at that time that there was nothing, nothing that we cannot say to God and that we must say to God. But when we do, I learned through the years Yes, we can give him all the stuff and the messes in our heart, but we must then, as we give it to him, ask him for an exchange that he might give to us how he looks at things and change us to be able to understand all these things that really don't make sense out of us because, like many, I thought when you become a Christian, everything goes pretty good. You're supposed to. Um, we hadn't been taught about count it all joy for the trials that you, that you come across your path. Um, so anyway, that was a really important lesson at that time, to, to speak to God honestly. It doesn't always lift right away when we give it to him, but we are being trained by the Holy Spirit to respond to life and the trials and pain of life in his wise ways. I spoke further to God about this situation, and he used the word he stored in me to begin to have me respond the way of the kingdom. And I said before, the way of the kingdom of God is very much different than the way of the world. The way of the world wants to return evil for evil. The way of the world wants to um, become angry and bitter. But the way of the kingdom does not. And so, um, God began to talk to me about forgiveness and talk to me about forgiving my husband. Um, we weren't divorced yet. I didn't know where it was going to go. I know it was pretty painful, but I said I would forgive him, not to his face at that time, because we really weren't talking, but to God. And then God opened it up more. He said, and are you willing to pray for him? Because that's the other thing we're to do, is to forgive and to pray. And I, I did. I started to pray for him. And then he asked me, was I willing to pray for his girlfriend? Okay, so that was a little more difficult. Um, but I did. I did it because I, it's the way of the kingdom, and I wanted to do this right. I'd like to say I did that my entire Christian walk. I have not. But at this time, God gave me the grace for this. So I prayed for him, and I prayed for her. And um, five years later, he came back to the Lord, but he had a wife, and she came to the Lord. And I was actually free. It didn't. He had done such a job in my heart 
that it, it, I just was rejoicing that he came back because that's really all it's about. We can say that, but unless God does that thing in your heart, um, you can't do it. So sometimes circumstances are very perplexing and our feelings seem to take over. But God is tenacious and will not give up on us. He will keep teaching us and teaching us. I always say that for those of you that have kids and know about IEPs, individual education uh, programs, uh, he's got one out on all of us. He knows every one of us perfectly and everything we have need and the order of how he's working in our lives and what he wants to accomplish and say in our lives. And then another really important lesson that God um, worked in my life was uh, I we're fast forwarding to my this was my 20s okay so we're fast forwarding to my 40s and when I hit 40 somehow or another I felt like I hit a wall and God had put me on a shelf and forgotten me I had always wanted a child and to be married with a family by this time, my, I didn't have a family, a regular family. My father had already died, and my mother had gotten Alzheimer's and had also passed away. Um, and I had one very distant sibling. And um, so I was, like, once again overcome with loneliness and sadness and not fitting in anywhere in my self-pitying view of life. I was miserable and feeling more and more distant from God. I was talking to him, but not the way I had before. I was doing life, but dragging through it because here I was alone and rejected. That's what I felt like. Again, fighting circumstantial depression, which I had as a young person. I struggled and had some breakthroughs, but was lost in my feelings instead of in what's true. And most, most of the time, uh, it took God a while to lift me out from under, because I was under the circumstances. And some of you can maybe relate, if not all of you, at one point in your life. So I was under the circumstances. And as I sought to fight this debilitating self-pity thing, it was a mindset. And I finally got so, at one point, I finally got so sick of feeling sorry for myself, of being miserable. Um, and bottom line, I missed God. Even though he went no place, it was me that had moved away because I did not like my circumstances. I finally admitted that my problem was not that I didn't have children or someone to love me. The problem was me and my refusal to accept the lot God had given me and called me to. I missed the nearness of my God so much, and I and knew I had to view life differently. So uh, I put up the white flag. That's how I picture it. And I surrendered. And I told God I couldn't live anymore wanting to have something he was not giving me. And I wanted to follow him and accept whatever lot in life he wanted me to have. But I desperately needed him to change me. I couldn't do this on my own. And he did. Not immediately, but he did change little 
by little by little, and that's so much of our walk, step by step, one foot in front of the other. So with time, I found myself becoming more and more accepting that this is the lot God gave me, and that's okay. And I was beginning to experience contentment and a love for him far greater than I ever had before. So I let him be God and stopped wanting my life to be my way. I had his peace back. I was, no, I was so glad he did not come to any of my pity parties. He doesn't really come to any of our pity parties, actually. And he didn't give into me when I was sort of wanting him to come so that maybe he would just change things the way I wanted them to be. He was um, focused. God is focused. He's disciplined when it comes to us. He has a goal for each one of us. He has a purpose in why we walk through what we walk through. It's to conform us to the image of his dear son. Basically, that's what we're meant for. That's the, whether I don't, whether, whatever your circumstances are, whether you, oh, I could go on and on, whether, whether you're single and went through that thing that I went through, or whether you're married and you're not really happy, uh, life isn't the way you thought it would be, and you tend to maybe blame your husband more, it's God. God. God that is the one that is forming you. And it's never an easy thing. We are not easy people to deal with. But yet, he is committed to us. And he's never going to stop until he gets us and conforms us into his image. And so it goes on. And, um, and that's good news. Because we're only really, really happy and full of peace and and the things of the kingdom of God, when we're content with him. So, I'm so glad he did not come, to, oh, I said that, to any of my pity parties. Okay, remember that one, that he's not going to come to yours either. And he didn't give in to me. He was determined to get through to me and set me free. He's very kind and very smart. Understatement. So, that is just some of my God stories and his mercy to love me, his power to change me, and his refusal to give up on me. His ways are so wise. And um, I'm sure if we went around the room, I don't know, maybe in our little times together, you can share a little testimony of how God has moved in your life to change you. And that is what he's after.